It's been called not only the greatest of all the virtues, but it's also been called the parent of all the virtues. And in recent years, there have been 40 major studies conducted by psychologists, different members of the scientific community, all about the effects of this one virtue. And what they have concluded, it really is staggering that if you incorporate this virtue into your life, if you apply it, if you adopt it, if you begin to align yourself in practice of this virtue, it will increase your happiness, it will enhance your personal relationships, it will improve your overall health, it prevents materialism, it takes away entitlement, it makes you less selfish, it makes you more optimistic, you feel more relaxed, you become more generous, and you sleep better, and you live longer without a medication, without a prescription. It's not even something you can go purchase. It's a virtue. And regardless of your circumstance, if you decide to adopt, incorporate, apply, align yourself with this one virtue, your life will get better. And not only will your life get better, but the life of those around you, their life will get better. And here's what we're talking about. Here's the virtue, gratitude. Gratitude. Gratitude has the power to make your life better. Gratitude has the power to affect all aspects of your life and the lives of those around you. Now, gratitude is something we've all heard, we've all, you know, understand to some, some level, we have, I guess, a sense of understanding about it. And if you're a Jesus follower, uh, you've heard Christians talk about thanksgiving and thankfulness and gratitude. You've, you've heard verses talked about this, sermons on this, songs about this. So if you're a Christian, ever, you know, depending on how long you've been a Christian, you've heard about gratitude. It, it's part of our faith. Matter of fact, it's down there at the core of how we express our faith. But if you're not a Jesus follower, here's the thing you probably realize our culture is now talking more and more about gratitude and now not only do you hear about the importance of gratitude inside the church but you're hearing about the importance of gratitude outside the church this is something that we all kind of can explain to somebody else what it means but it's not something we typically think about very much this is not something we're super intentional about. Sometimes we're accidental, sometimes we stumble into it. Sometimes it just happens because it's the time of the year. This is something we understand, it's just not something we think about a lot. Someone said this, that we often take for granted the things that deserve the most gratitude. Now think about that in your life, and I'll think about it in mine, but the things that we take most for granted really ought to be the, the direction where we extend our greatest gratitude. And every single one of us, there's blessings, there's good things in our life that we take for granted that we don't really think about through the lens of gratitude. Now, let me tell you a little bit about how powerful gratitude is. Gratitude will change the way that you look at the past. It'll change the way that you look at your past. And regardless of what happened in your past, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we typically, we carry around most of all the bad and the ugly. But when you look back over your personal past, here's what gratitude will do. When you choose to have gratitude in your heart, when you have gratitude, you will begin to see the past entirely different. The past will seem different. You will see different storylines emerge out of your past when you choose to look at your past through eyes of gratitude. And not only does gratitude change the way that you see the past, but it changes the way that you process the present. 
No matter what's happening right now in your life, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation, no matter how good, no matter how bad, no matter how ugly, when you have gratitude, it changes the way that you process. You run it through the filter of gratitude. You dip it into gratitude before you ever process what it means for you. And it changes the way you process your current set of circumstances. That's how powerful gratitude is. It changes how you see the past. And what used to make you bitter, now you see things that made you better. Instead of looking at a past that makes you hateful, now you look at a past that helps you to be more loving. Instead of neglect that someone, you know, extended to you, now you see where you are resolved to not neglect the people that you love the way that those who said they loved you neglected you. You look at the past entirely different. You process the present entirely different. And when you do those two things, you begin to anticipate a better future. You begin to sense that the best really is yet to come. And that's the power of gratitude. Someone said it's the highest form of thought. It's the highest and the healthiest of human emotion. Now, I don't know if it's the highest form of human thought, and I don't know if it's the healthiest of human emotion, but I think that we can all agree on this. It's important. If you're a person of faith, God says it's important. If you're not a person of faith, experts say it's important. And here's the thing about gratitude, it's not tied to a personality. It's not that certain people have you know, personalities that are inclined to be grateful. It's not a personality. It's not if you're high, high D, high I, high C, you know, high S. It doesn't matter what your Myers-Briggs is. It doesn't matter whether you're extrovert or introvert. It doesn't matter whether you consider yourself incredibly verbal or not so verbal. It doesn't matter. Any of those things. It's not dependent on personality. Here's the thing it is dependent upon. Your choice. Only you can choose to be grateful. No one else can choose for you to be grateful except for you. Only I can choose to be grateful for me. And gratitude is not connected to my personality and it's not connected to my circumstances. It is entirely connected to my choice. And the choice is will I or will I not choose gratitude? Now, we've been talking about words and we've been talking about the power of words and how our words have life and death power within them, how they affect feelings and thoughts and beliefs and how after even last week, how our words can shape and alter destinies. We've talked about what Jesus said about words, that he said one day we're gonna be held accountable to our words, and that's a big deal. If you know that one day, and you believe one day, that you're gonna be held accountable in some way before God with your words, whether those were public words or private words, that feels important enough for me to evaluate how I'm using my words. And so Jesus said, one day you're gonna give an account. But not only that, Jesus also taught us something really important about words that we've not talked about. It's something that I didn't want to conclude this series without pointing out to you just so that you can think about it. So you may wanna write it down. Uh, don't try to memorize it because I know how many of your memories are. It'd be better for you to write it down. It'd be better for you to type it in your notes. But here, here's something really important that you need to think about and I need to think about concerning what Jesus teaches us about words. And here's what Jesus says. He says that we can see one another's hearts by listening to one another's words. Now, I know you've probably heard all your life the saying, well, you can't see someone's heart. Trevor, you don't know what's in someone's heart. You can't see their heart. We can't see each other's heart. That's true. We can't. But Jesus said you can hear what's in their heart. Jesus said out of the abundance, out of the overflow, out of the content, out of the substance of the heart, a person speaks. 
Now you can't see someone's heart, but let me tell you what we can do. We can, we can hear one another's heart. And when you listen to someone's words long enough, you begin to understand and hear very clearly what's in their heart. You can hear the passion that's in their heart. You can hear what they're most passionate about, what they're not passionate all about. You can hear their priorities, what's really most important to them and what's kind of important to them. You can hear hate in their heart. You can hear love in their heart. You can hear grace. You can hear mercy. You can hear misery. You can hear delight. You listen long enough. And you can hear exactly what's in someone's heart. So here's a question for us all to think about. What are your words telling people about what's in your heart? What are your words telling people about what's in your heart? What have your words been communicating to people? Because your words and my words, they're messengers of the heart. They're running errands for our heart. They're giving a window into our heart that if people really want to know what's in our heart, the only thing they have to do is listen to us long enough. Now I'm talking about those conversations when the walls come down. I'm talking about those conversations when it's not the best foot forward. I'm talking about those conversations that you have with people that you, you're just natural with, you're just you with. I'm talking about how you talk with your spouse. I'm talking about your friends. I'm talking about the locker room. I'm talking about all of those places when you just say what you want to say and you say it how you want to say it. What are your words? What are my words saying about what's in our heart? And here's my hope for us all. And this is my prayer for us all. I hope that beginning this Thanksgiving season, this holiday season, that we will prove, that we will demonstrate, that we will illustrate, that we will confirm that what is in our hearts among many things, is gratitude. That we will prove by our words, we will demonstrate and illustrate by our words to everyone that's in our lives that our hearts are full of gratitude. And the only way that they will know that we have gratitude in our heart is by the words that we speak. Words of gratitude, words of life. Words like this, thank you. That's a phrase that's disappearing. In a world of entitlement, where I deserve what you give me, I don't have to earn it, I don't have to work for it. What the generation, they had blood, sweat, and tears to get, it should just be mine, without the blood, sweat, and the tears. So when I get something that I felt entitled to, that I felt like I deserved, that in some way it was mine already, or that it was due me, I don't feel compelled to say thank you. And in a world full of entitlement, this word is disappearing. But when you realize that you deserve nothing, that I deserve nothing, that any good thing that comes my way, Christians would say, that's grace. And we say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Two words, magical. We should say them more often. I appreciate blank. I appreciate you. I appreciate what you did. I appreciate that. Thank you. I'm overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by how hard you work. I'm overwhelmed at what a difference you're making. I'm overwhelmed. Hey, that meant a lot the other day. You, you don't think it meant much, but it, it meant a lot to me. When you stopped and talked, when you wrote that note, when you called, I'm telling you, that meant a lot. Hey, I'm thankful for you. And let me tell you why. I'm thankful for you. And let me tell you why. Hey, you're a blessing. When you do this, when you said that, when, when I watched or when I heard, man, I'm telling you, you're, you're a blessing. You inspired me. You, you've influenced me. You didn't even know you've influenced me. You've influenced me. You've, you've helped me. Let me tell you how you've helped me. Hey, I will never forget that time. I'll never forget that time we were down, we were down and out, and I'll never forget. I'll, I'll never forget when you showed up. I'll never forget that night at the hospital, what you said. I'll never forget at the funeral home. I'll never forget. Hey, that was very kind of you. 
It was very kind. You didn't have to say that. You didn't have to do that. You didn't have to pay for our meal. That was, it was very kind of you. Without you, I don't know if I'd be here. Without you, just words of gratitude. You get to choose whether or not you speak those type of words. You get to choose whether or not the gratitude that's in your heart comes out through the words of your mouth. But here's the thing, according to Jesus, if those words don't come out of your mouth, they're not in your heart. So we need to wrestle with the fact, do we have gratitude in our heart? And if we do, we need to make sure that we are proving, demonstrating, illustrating to everybody around us that gratitude is in our heart by the words of gratitude that we speak. And I think gratitude is one of the most noble ways that we can use our words. Because gratitude was just not to be felt and it was just not meant to be thought. Gratitude was meant to be expressed. When you don't express gratitude, there's no gratitude. Someone said it's like wrapping a gift and not giving it away. It's gratitude. Now, scriptures, if you opened up your scriptures and you could start in Genesis and you could go through all the way to the the end of the New Testament, you would find verse after verse after verse after verse. Principle after principle after principle about gratitude, thankfulness, thanksgiving, and the likes. And if we tried to walk through everything that the scriptures say about thankfulness, thanksgiving, and you know, having hearts of gratitude and being grateful, we, we would be here for hours upon hours. But there's one particular person that I think really can teach us a lot about what it means to live by this virtue of gratitude. It's the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, he was a Christian hater until he became a Christian. And if you're not a Christian and you don't know the story of the Apostle Paul, you should Google it. It's awesome. It's incredible. But he hated Christians until he became one. And the Apostle Paul, he is a guy who wrote a lot about gratitude. If you read the letters that Paul wrote to Christians in the first century, that we have many of them in the New Testament, he writes a lot about gratitude. And another thing, you sense gratitude coming from the heart of Paul by the words that he speaks. And one of my favorite letters that I think really demonstrates this, maybe better than any of the others, is regarded as his most encouraging letter. It's a letter to a group of Christians living in a city called Philippi. And he writes them a letter, and part of what he wants to do is he wants to teach them. He wants to teach them about how to live out their faith, right? That's what we would expect. But he also wants to encourage them. And he also wants to express gratitude to them. And he wants to model gratitude in front of them. And so when Paul writes the letter, and it's a letter, when he writes the letter to the Philippians, and it's in our New Testament under the title Philippians, when he writes the letter to those Christians in Philippi, here's what you need to understand and here's what you gotta keep in mind when we read some of these things that Paul said. He is chained to a Roman guard. He is in a dark, damp Roman dungeon and he's writing a letter to Christians. 18 inches from a Roman guard. He's in prison for his faith. He's at a place he doesn't want to be. He's at a place that no one aspires to be. He's in a bad place. He's in a hard place. He's in a dark place. He's in a depressing, discouraging place. 18 inches from a Roman guard. And here's how he begins his letter. He says, I thank God every time I remember you. That's how he begins it. He begins it with gratitude. Here's a man in prison. Here's a man who really didn't sign up for this. He didn't aspire to this. No one would. But here he takes one stone and he knocks down two birds. He lets God know that he is grateful to God that God has allowed the Philippians to become part of his life. 
He's letting the Philippians know that he is grateful for them being a part of his life. He's grateful for the grace of God that allowed their lives to intersect. And in the midst of a really difficult circumstance, Paul finds solace, Paul finds peace, Paul finds some type of sense of, hey, this is good that God has allowed our paths to cross. I am so glad you're in my life. I am so glad that God has let me know you. I am so glad that we have gotten to know one another. I'm so glad that we got to spend time with one another. And here Paul, in the midst of all of his difficult circumstances, he says, hey, I'm grateful for you. I'm thankful for what you mean to me. In chapter four, he's gonna say to the church, he says, you're my joy and my crown. Now we don't talk to each other like that. Husbands, don't go home to your wives this evening and roll over and say, honey, I just want, you to let, want to let you know you're my joy and my crown. And she's gonna be like, what? We don't talk like that anymore. But basically, here's what Paul's saying. You make my life better. You make my life better. You make me feel good about what I'm doing. You're my joy and you're my crown. And in some way, Paul was saying, whenever I get to heaven, heaven's gonna be a little bit better and a little bit sweeter because of you. You're my joy and you're my crown. Then he goes on, and he says, I want you to know that I'm praying for you. Because people that you're grateful for, you pray for. When you're grateful for people, you pray for people. And he says, I want you to know I've been calling your name out loud before God. I've been calling you out by name. Now, I don't know all of you by name, but I, I've been praying to God because he knows your name and I've been praying for you. Isn't it an amazing feeling? When someone walks up to you and it's just not, you know, a, just a cliche and it's just not something that you don't feel is really sincere, but someone walks up to you and says, hey, I just want you to know, I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you. The other morning, I'm telling you, I got up before the sun came up and I was praying for you. I prayed for you by name and let me tell you what I prayed for you about. Some of you have never had anybody talk to you that way your entire life. I think we should shift the culture on some of this stuff. I think we should redeem some Christian interaction. Amen. I think we shouldn't be afraid to let one another know we pray for one another. But first, we're assuming that we are praying for one another. So as we pray for one another, what if we actually told each other, hey, I'm praying for you. That we encourage one another to say, you know what, I'm grateful for you and I'm praying for you. And that's what he does. He encourages them to live out their faith. He says, I want you to put others first. I want you to have the same attitude that Jesus had. And he goes on and on telling them about how to live out their faith and how thankful he is for them. Then he gets to chapter four, the end of the letter. And at the end of the letter, like when we write letters, he's tying everything together. He puts a conclusion on it to, to make sure we understand everything that he's been saying. And so here's what he says to them at the end of the letter. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Let's all just say this highlighted part together. Always, it's a big deal, 18 inches from a Roman guard in a dark, damp Roman dungeon. He says, let me tell you what to do. Let me give you all some good advice. Rejoice in the Lord, when Paul, always. Regardless of circumstances, regardless of your situation, rejoice in the Lord. Whether it's good, bad, whether things have changed or nothing has changed. Rejoice in the Lord. And, and here's a game changer. This is worth some of you being here today, so just, just be ready for it, okay? 
Here's something that we learned that can change our lives. Paul is in the most difficult of circumstances. He's at a place that he doesn't want to be in. No one would. He's at a place that he didn't ask for. No one would. But here's what he discovered and here's what he teaches us. Joy follows gratitude. Gratitude does not follow joy. He starts the letter by saying, I am grateful to God and I am grateful for you. When you are grateful, when you choose gratitude, when you are grateful, then you can be joyful. But you will never be joyful unless you first decide to be grateful. He lived a life of gratitude. He had gratitude in his heart. He was thankful to God. He was thankful for the people that God had allowed in his life. And joy followed that gratitude. Joy followed that gratitude that even in a really bad situation, Paul said, hey, I can have joy in the Lord regardless of my circumstance. And it was the joy that kept Paul from cynicism. It was the joy of the Lord that kept Paul from becoming a critic. It kept him from burnout. It kept him from bitterness. It kept him from being resentful. It kept him from being angry. The joy of the Lord, which Nehemiah said, is our strength. That it's the joy of the Lord that will keep you going when things get tough. It's the joy of the Lord that will keep you from throwing in the towel when you want to throw in the towel. When you think no one cares and you think that God doesn't know and you think that nobody is ever going to show up to try to help you. It is the joy that you can only find through gratitude that will keep you going forward. And Paul said, it's joy that follows gratitude. And when you get that, and when you hold on to that, and you embrace that, that is a game changer that will change your life. That regardless of what your life looks like right now, regardless what it feels like right now, if you choose gratitude, you will experience joy. And here's why. Paul decided that God was good, even when things were bad. And he believed that God was so good that God could intervene in the midst of the bad and turn the bad for good. Whenever you believe that God is good, and when you believe that even when things are bad, that God can step into the bad and turn it for good, you can have joy in the Lord always. This was Paul's theology. Here's, here's what Paul said in some other letters to let us know how he could make such a statement. He said this, we glory in our sufferings. Who does that? We glory in success. We glory in advancement. We glory in promotion. We glory moving up the ladder. He says, I glory in suffering and so should you because suffering produces perseverance, makes you stronger. Perseverance, character, makes you better. And character, hope. This is what Paul believed about being in a tough spot. A dark place. In another place, he said, for our light and momentary troubles, because it's not as heavy as you think it is. And it's not as long-lasting as what you think it is. They're achieving for you an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That below all the trial and below all the trouble and below all the pain, God is down there doing something that you can't see. And God's doing something that you can't feel. He's working for you something that one day it's going to be worth whatever it is that you're going through. That's what Paul believed. And when you believe that, you know what you can say? Rejoice in the Lord always. He said this, he said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth being compared to the glory that's going to be revealed. In some way, one day, this, this whole thing's going to be worth it. This path I walked down, this plan that I was a part of, 
In some way, it is going to be worth it because I know Paul would say that all things, Romans 8, 28, work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. When you believe, when I believe that God is good, and even when he allows the bad to come into our lives, that God is so good that he can overrule the bad and turn it for good. When you believe that, you can be grateful in any situation. And when you are grateful in any situation, you will begin to experience joy regardless of the situation. When you believe that God is good and that God can take bad and turn it for good, there's nothing that you can go through. There's nothing that I can walk through. There's nothing that can knock on my door. There is not a telephone call that I have to take. There's not a bad news that I have to hear that God is not so good that God cannot take the bad and ultimately in some way redeem the bad and turn it for good and for his glory. And when we understand that and when we believe that, we are grateful and we will be joyful. And that gratitude changes our entire experience. And so Paul knew what some of you are thinking. You're, you're pushing back. Yeah, but what if? And well, you don't know. And easy for him to say. Paul says, I will say it again. Rejoice. I will say it again. No matter what you're going through, if you can find a way to be grateful, you will be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now you say, how can somebody command another person to be joyful? It's not like you can just look at somebody and say, rejoice, <laughs> knock it off, joy. <laughs> like you look at your kids and say, hey, 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 look at me, joy, right now, joy. Hey. Say, how can you command joy? It's because we misunderstand what joy is. Joy is not an emotion. Joy is a deep confidence that God is in control that God has a plan. It may not be my plan. It may not be your plan, but it is his plan. It is the best plan and it is a perfect plan. And one day it will be for your good. It will be for his glory. And when you have a deep seated confidence in that truth, it produces positive emotions that sometimes we call joy. But what we feel is joy is really just the fruit of confidence. And when you decide to have confidence in that, the offspring of that is what we feel as joy. Now, Jesus, he said joy is something that he gave to us. He said, my joy I give to you. My joy, my joy, Jesus, that I give to you. Now, in the shadows of the cross, the night that Jesus is gonna be betrayed, the night that Jesus is gonna be arrested, the night before he's gonna be crucified the next day, what did Jesus do? when suffering was right around the corner? What did Jesus do right before he went to the garden and he was under such stress and anxiety that his, his very sweat is gonna be turned to blood, a medical condition brought on by severe anxiety and stress? In light of the flogging, in light of the crown of thorns, in light of the bruises and contusions, in light of the nails, in light of the cross, in light of death approaching, what did Jesus do first? He took his disciples to the upper room. They gathered around a table and he took bread and he took some wine and what did he give? Thanks. That he had gratitude. He found a way to be grateful right in the midst of what was about to happen. 
in a very dark place, in a very hard place, in the midst of where suffering was right around the corner, suffering that we cannot even begin to imagine, Jesus decided to be grateful. And you know what the writer of Hebrews said? That when the time came, that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross, he despised the shame, and after it was all said and done, he sat down at the right hand of God in heaven. Do you know how he had joy even in the shadows of the cross? Joy even on the cross? Because he had gratitude beforehand. And joy always follows gratitude. So Paul says, if you get that, change your life. Then he goes on to say this. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let your big heartedness. Don't let circumstances change the way you treat people. Don't let your circumstances make you bitter and resentful and hateful. Don't, don't, don't let your circumstances turn you into that. Don't be enslaved by what's going on in your life. Let your gentleness, your big heartedness, let your faith always be expressed. This is what this word means. It means let your generosity, let your grace, let your mercy, let your love, your reasonableness always be experienced by people around you. Don't let your circumstances change the way you treat people. The Lord is near. Paul's saying, hey, the Lord could come back at any moment. I know some of you have been hearing that since you were in student ministry and they were telling you that to keep you from sinning with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. But it's true, Jesus is coming again. And when you believe that and you live in a lot of that and you feel a little bit of the weight of that, it does change the way that you think about living your life. So he says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry. Worry is distrusting God. Worry is believing that God's not gonna get it right. Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to wear. Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to drink. Jesus said, don't worry about those things. Why, Jesus? Because Jesus said, God knows and God cares. And if that's all you know, that's all you need to know. God knows and God cares. He knows when a bird falls out of the sky. Jesus knows how many hairs you have on your head. You don't even know how many hairs you have on your head unless you have no hairs on your head. (laughs) Jesus knows you better than you know you. So why would you worry if he knows and you know that he cares? Don't, don't worry. But in everything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition. Every time I read that verse, I I hear the King James. By prayer and supplication. But I knew none of you would know what supplication was. You think it was a prescription. You you think it was something, I got to Google. What is supplicate? What in the world is supplicate? By prayer and petition. He says, if you want to be able to plow through the hard places, If you want to be able to go through the dark places, if you want to be able to go when the things of your life get really, really tough, when news knocks at your door that you never wanted to hear, when you get the call you didn't want to get, how are you going to move forward? Are you going to shut down? Are you going to retreat? Are you going to let it change you into a bitter person, a hateful person, a faithless person, a fearful person? What are you going to do? Paul says, listen, you're going to get through this thing with gratefulness and joyfulness and prayerfulness. You're going to have to pray. Listen, this is 101. The times in my life, I've been thinking about this a lot in the last few months. The times in my life where God has most grown my faith, it is when prayer has been a center part of my relationship with him. 
When I've made bad decisions and when I've just gone off track and when I've just been just wacky, it has been when I have put it to the side, when I've put it on the back burner. I'm talking about prayer. I know you've heard pray all your life, but prayerfulness, talking to God with petitions, with petition, you should have a prayer list. This is what Paul said. Every Christian ought to have a prayer list. You ought to have a prayer list. You ought to be praying about such big things. And I'm talking about things you can't do. If there are things you can do, it's not a prayer list, it's a to-do list. If you're asking God to do something you can do, God's up there saying, would you just shut up? If you're at God, God, would you bless them over there? God, would you bless them over there? He's like, you take the flipping $50 in your pocket and you go bless them. I'm not gonna do something that you can do. Don't ask me to do what you can do. That's not prayer, that's a to-do list. Start praying about big things that you can't do, that's bigger than you, and ask God to do it because nothing is too big for him. What are you praying about? What are you praying about? If God answered all your prayers this week, what would be different? What would be different about you? What would be different about your home? What would be different about the world? What would be different? I heard a story from a pastor. <laughs> pastor told me the story this week and I was like, I, I gotta tell the story, it's a great story. There was a woman in his church. She was in her 30s and she wanted kids and she wanted to get married. She wasn't married, she had no kids, so she just started praying. She's praying for her husband, praying for her husband, praying for her husband, and she told the pastor about this. And she said, finally, I just felt like God wanted me to, to pray with greater faith. So she said, I went out and I bought a pair of man's trousers and I put them on my bed and I started to ask God, God, fill those pants with a man. <laughs> God, fill those pants with a man in Jesus' name. Well, as it happened for her, I'm not telling you this is a go for everybody, but as it happened for her, God gave her a husband and she ended up having a family. Well, the pastor shared this great story about prayer with his church and on that particular Sunday, there was a, hus there was a husband and his son back there in the back listening. The mom was homesick. Well, a few weeks later, the mom who wasn't there that day to hear the story about the woman who prayed, God, fill these pants with a man, she called the pastor, very upset, very, very concerned. She said, Pastor, I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on, but my little boy is insisting that he does not want to do his prayers without a bikini hanging at the bottom of his bed, and I have no idea why. God, feel it as long as it's modest. Yeah. Prayerfulness, what are you praying about? And then he says this, not only with petitions, but with thanksgiving. Let those requests be known unto God. Thankfulness. Everybody ought to have a gratitude list that you're adding to consistently, that you're updating. This is what I'm grateful for. And, and you tell God about it. You call those things out to God. Call them by name. God, I'm thankful for these. There's some things I thank God for every, every time I pray. The same things. Sometimes I add new things. Here's what Thanksgiving is. It is a verbal confession that God is good. It is a verbal confession that God is good and what God sends my way is good. And what God allows to come my way, though it may be bad, will be turned for good. That's what Thanksgiving is. And being grateful and being thankful, it wards off all the things that you don't want to be. And he says, and the peace of God will transcend all understanding, it will be yours. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That when you're grateful, you can be joyful. When you're joyful and prayerful and you're thankful, 
peaceful. Peaceful. You experience peace that the world can't take away. Calm in the chaos. That you'll have an anchor that holds in the midst of the storm. Your mind will be calm in the midst of adversity. It won't be overclouded by sin. It will not be intimidated by fear. You will not be a slave to circumstances. This is what Paul's saying. His message is this. Have joy because God is sovereign. Pray because God is able. Be thankful because God is good and have peace because God is faithful. And then he wraps it all up and he says, finally, brothers, what is true, what is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is praiseworthy, think on these things. So that doesn't really fit with what he's been. It absolutely fits. He says, changing the way you feel begins with changing the way you think. You got to think different. Stop thinking about what you're thinking about. How do I stop thinking about what I'm thinking about? Stop it. You just stop it. And you plug something else different in. You say, you know what? I'm not going to think this. I'm going to think about this. I'm going to think what's noble, what's pure, what's right, what's lovely, admirable, praiseworthy. That's what I'm going to think about. Even when all hell breaks loose. That's what I'm going to think about. And Paul says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me, put into practice. And the God of peace be with you. He says, you put this into practice. What do we learn from Paul? I think, I think this, that unexpressed gratitude is ingratitude. If you don't express it, if you don't speak it, it's not gratitude. Scripture tells us over and over again to give thanks with our lips, to lift our hands as a gesture of thanks, to clap our hands as a gesture of thanks, to sing songs of thanksgiving. Listen, worship is just practice for a life of gratitude. Sundays are a test run for how life ought to be. Here's what we learned from Paul. Make the choice, make the great choice to have a great attitude. Don't complain, don't blame make the great choice to have a great attitude. Viktor Frankl, an Austrian neurologist and psychiatrist, a Jewish man on the front side of the rise of Nazi Germany. And like many of his day, he was rounded up. He was brought before the high German command, stripped naked of dignity, accused of things that he was innocent of, convicted, incarcerated, He ended up at Auschwitz and the horrors that it brought. He lost his wife. He lost his family. He wrote a book when he was released at the end of the war. He wrote a book about the meaning of life. And in that book, he said this, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way. He said, they cannot make me hate for I will hope. They cannot make me bitter, I choose to forgive. They will not make me mean-spirited for I will love. They cannot make me anything that I do not choose to be myself the greatest attitude that you and I can choose 
is an attitude of gratitude. And beginning from this season on, how about this? Above all, above all, above all the people in your life that you say thanks to, above your family and your friends and your employer and your employees and above all, why not give thanks to the one who is above all? That every good gift and every perfect gift, James 1, 17, it comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. What if your gratitude list begins with Jesus? What if your gratitude list begins with your heavenly Father? And like David, who numerated the goodness of God in Psalm 103, when he said, praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Who forgives all my iniquities. Who heals all my diseases. Who redeems my life from destruction. Who crowns me with loving kindness. Who satisfies my mouth with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. That he is compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Why not start there and consider him who endured such hostility of sinners? Let's be thankful most of all for the one who is above all and responsible for all the good. Let's say thank you to our families and our wives and our husbands and our children and to our friends. Let's say thanks for what you mean in one another's lives. Let's say thank you for what you did for me. Let's be a people of gratitude. Because when we're grateful, we can be joyful. Then we choose to be prayerful so that we can be peaceful no matter the circumstance. Father, if we're having trouble with gratitude, let us start with Jesus. Let us think about what you've done for us. Let us consider the price you paid, the crown of thorns you wore, the nails in your hand and in your feet. Let us think about the blood you shed. Let us think about the bruises you bore. Let us think about the iniquities that you carried, the sins that you absorbed, the place that you stood for all of us. And may our hearts overflow with gratitude in Jesus' name.